everyone. My name is Dan Mike, one of the pastors here serving y'all, specifically focusing on health and spiritual formation for uh, college students and young adults. If you're a college student or young adult here, just want you to know you got a guy. You got a guy. If you have a young adult or a parent or a loved one, pray for me. Not a, not, not, not a bad way, I'm just saying, just partner with me on this. Um, I'd like to invite you all, though, and ask to share the sermon this morning, to just consider the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is revealed to us in the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, we usually have a stack of them in the back, or I Google it. Not offensive to me. Oh, there's some stacks even in the middle nowadays here, uh, each of you, so you're going to want to maybe read along. Uh, however, if I've already ruined it for you, I don't know if you know this, but Trinity uh, Mission Church is, is uh, meeting upstairs. Because they couldn't get a GV this weekend or whatever. And so uh, if you guys ever wanted to join the church plant, you know, I wouldn't be offended uh, if you went up there, especially since we've been studying texts about spies and all that um, lately. It's a biblical thing to go spy. I was just up there, and uh, one of the person, the per- right as I was leaving, they said to me, you know what? There's a reason why we're up here closer to heaven than you. Smell like smoke down there. I said, you know what? Because I was challenging Ken. I said, I'll switch you right now if you want to switch. But you had to read the same verse as me. And he's like, what do you read? In Numbers 22, I said, he goes, no thanks. <laughs> so please turn your Bibles to Numbers 22. Uh, Numbers, the only book of the Bible written by Dave Ramsey. Um, least attractive uh, book title, the book of the Bible, to me personally, God loves accountants, he loves numbers, great, but in Hebrew, this is actually the most attractive title to me, Bamidbar, in the wilderness, I'm from northern Michigan, okay, when I see words like wilderness, I'm like, okay, that's something I can read, there's a different type of wilderness uh, here, so, um, that they've been in, And, and we'll get into that in a minute, I'd like to share with you just a little bit of my heart, though, um, at the beginning on why we study the uh, Hebrew scriptures. I was listening to a sermon recently. A guy gets up to share. The preacher, he says, um, he says, turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers. I'm like, oh, this is great. We've been studying Numbers. And then he paused and said, just kidding. Turn to Matthew. And I thought, good grief, what's the joke here? And as if, you know, and I've, I'm kind of like trying to figure this out. I've been reading a few books lately, and it, and there's a tenor going around that uh, we don't need the Hebrew scriptures. We don't need the Old Testament. We should, might even throw it out a little bit. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff that gets people backwards. And, and I get that, okay? I understand. There is, <laughs> there's been a lot of people who have abused the Hebrew scriptures in pretty much every generation forever. Name one Era, and there's something going on there that's to do with the Bible and harming people or abusing this in some way. Well, why does Crossroads, why are we always going into the, this part of the Bible? Why are we always trying to dig into this if it's something that is so volatile or dangerous or whatever? And I was trying to think about that. Somebody asked me recently, Dan, you know, where should I start? I want to get to know the Old Testament better. Give me some resources and all this stuff. And I keep thinking, you know what? Okay, this, is this place just a random collection of Hebrew nerds? Is that why we do this? 
if we weren't, you know, just sort of inclined? Or is this place just a bunch of people who like to find obscure things or, you know, get into the backgrounds and all this stuff just for the sake of, of knowledge? And I don't think that, I, I don't think that that's going on here. If that's where you're headed, uh, it, it's, it might just, that direction just might be headed towards knowledge. And knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if I had to answer why Crossroads constantly goes to uh, the Hebrew text or, or, or often, I'd say it's probably more related to the fact that many of us here are just passionate about Jesus. We just want to know how this guy thinks. Why is he doing? How does he act? What is he processing through? What are the, why is it that he's always referencing Moses, Abraham, uh, David, quoting Isaiah, fulfilling all of these scriptures that, that are meaningful to him? If this whole thing just doesn't matter. I think the more passionate we are about Jesus, the, it's inevitable that we will follow him into where he is studying the Bible. The resurrected Christ led a Bible study. On the road to Emmaus, he started with Torah, with the books of Moses, and walked through David and the, Proverbs, and, and, and the prophets and showed them all the things that were concerning to him. If you want to know who Christ is, he is all over the Hebrew Scriptures. And... If you want to know why Christ is, why do we need a Messiah, there are tons of options and, and tons of stories that show truth about humanity. The ancients ain't so ancient. There are a ton of things that we read, even the story today is a great example of patterns and things that are innate to uh, people. Just regular people can do this stuff that will... That is harmful, and that cries out, we need a savior. Not to mention, the story in Numbers 22 is referenced no less than in eight different books of the Bible, half of which are in the New Testament. If you don't know the story of Balaam and Balak, your New Testament assumes that you do. It assumes that, you're, that we are studying and wrestling with the themes that are here. Second Peter goes on to say, don't, be like, don't follow the way of Balaam. Jude, there's a long list. All right? he, he says Cain. He says Sodom and Gomorrah. He says Korah. And then he ends it by saying, Balaam, that's not a list you want to be on. If you have no idea what that list is, you've got to go to the Hebrew text. Jesus himself, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, one of the letters of, to the church, the, re the letter to the church of Pergamum, he says, but this one thing I have against you, some of you have been following the teaching of Balaam. Well, what is it? Are there, is there anything in the teaching of Balaam and the story of Balaam and Balak that we can mine and dig into that will tell us a little bit of uh, or will, will caution us that we should wrestle with to see if we're lining up with them in any way so that we can then repent and turn. It could just be words to you. But I honestly believe the humble heart that seeks to know Christ and seeks to know 
who, who we really are and approach the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will use it. Will. This is the sword of the Spirit. It's alive and active. It's working on us all. And so, if you're into all this, I know I'm ranting already. If you're into all this and you want to show a sign of humility, one of the things we do is we read as we stand. And so please, if you will, stand with me for the reading of Numbers 22. Uh, and starting at verse one. Speak to us, Lord. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Give you a little, that's a, should give you a little mental map there, okay. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw, he saw, he saw all Israel, what they'd done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us. An ox, like an ox looks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, he sent messengers to summon Balaam of Beor, who was at Pethor, way up north near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and they've settled next to me. Now, come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those who you bless are blessed and those who you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab, Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. He said, spend the night here. Balaam said to them, and I'll bring you back an answer uh, that the Lord gives me. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent, these, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight and drive them away. God said to Balaam, don't go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite prince returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Balak sent the other princes. Oh, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Don't let anything keep you from coming to me. I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace full of silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the commandment of the Lord. My God, so stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night, God came to Balaam and said, these men have come to summon you. Go with them, but only do as I say. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, Standing in the road with the John sword in his hand, she turned off the road into the field. And Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. 
Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. He was very angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? You made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, I'm not, am I you're not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the angel of the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel standing in the road with the sword drawn. He bowed and fell face down. The angel said to him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not, I surely would have killed you by now and would have spared her. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. And so Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Amen. These are the very words of God. So the book of Numbers, it's kind of a yeah, part two of the book of Exodus, as far as narrative goes. It tells us a lot about what's happening with the children of Israel. They're, they're about to finish. This is almost to the end of this like 39, 40-year process of them being in this wilderness, this desert. Deuteronomy calls it a howling wasteland. It's important that we see them in that desert for a few different reasons. One of them is just their legacy. Just to give you a, a, a paragraph on this. The Lord chose Abraham to come out of his country into a, into a place he'll show him, which is Canaan. He said to Abraham, did you just trust me? I'm gonna start a, a, a global movement of blessing through you and your family. Abraham is into it. He has some kids. His grandson has two names, Jacob and Israel. Israel has a ton of kids. They have a ton of kids. So this was a family, this was a small family that they called the Hebrew, the outsiders. And this small family that has a legacy of blessing turns into a large nation, which then becomes what they call Israel, the Israelites. So the Hebrew family grows into the Israelite nation. The Israelite nation goes into slavery and the Lord rescues them through the leadership of Moses and brings them into this place this howling, uninhabitable wasteland. And what they do in that period of time is figure out how to live a life that is honoring to their relationship with God. So they're, they're actually developing the building blocks of their religion, which will then one day become known as Judaism, named after one of the sons of Israel, Judah. And so the Hebrew family grows to the Israelite nation, and then they now develop the Jewish faith. They're about ready to then take all of this legacy of blessing and start figuring out what that looks like in society and in culture. This is what's going on with them. They're at the base of these mountains, okay? This, in your mind, you know, the, the Dead Sea, I didn't bring a map or a picture, but not that fancy. 
Moab is just on the, the eastern side of the Dead Sea in the Jordanian mountains. And uh, it's really high up. Okay, so it's a good view. Balak is a pretty good view of Israel. And Israel's about to go into the promised land, cross the Jordan. From this precipice, Balak sees Israel. That's what's going on with them. Well, what I love about this story is it doesn't really have anything to do with any of that. It's kind of a little commercial break in the story of Israel's time in the wilderness. It's not really a one-to-one. It's actually kind of a backdoor look into this whole uh, culture. How do people view Israel? And it's easy to kind of just assume they are way out into the woods of Montana somewhere in some cult that nobody knows about, but maybe somebody might have heard about one time. Apparently, people can just see them. I mean, how long have people been observing this group of people, this large group of people living in a place that you can't live? Now imagine, you're Balak, and imagine you're looking at this and you're, for how many years? Decades. They're legendary. This is not some you know, secret to the rest of their world. This is a very small place in the world. So just get in, think about it. Just imagine the tabloids. What are they reading about this, you know? Is anybody like studying this group of people? Are there any scientists like trying to figure out how this is going on? I mean, in this uh, current events of, of the children of Israel are still out into the wilderness and no one knows how they're surviving out there. But right when we thought that they were going to just die of thirst, they found a rock that is just gushing with water. Who are these people? They got bread that falls from heaven. They got snakes biting it, but then they make a thing that cures them. They're just in, they can't be defeated. They don't know how to fight. Two times in chapter 21, they, they go into a battle with someone and they win. Rahab says it when the scouts come into Jericho. She said, everybody's terrified of you guys. Think about this. He's looking up there, and they're not that far from him. And he's looking down, and he's seeing them, and he's like, all of Moab is filled with dread because of them. I know that this is an ancient story and all, and it's kind of hard to connect with stuff from the you know, late bronze period, but just try and, just try and go there. There's somebody who's nervous about other people coming across their borders and taking up some resources and space. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to make political jokes. I just wanted to see if that would just land a little bit. It's actually much deeper than that. They're terrified of this uh, because their livelihood, literally, I mean, if you've ever been to Jordan before, there's not a lot to go around. And Israel is kind of used to just... <laughs> living for free. Okay, so who knows what they're, they're thinking. This is a real fear that Balak has. Not in the sense that it's a real fear that he should be afraid of Israel. He doesn't even know what they're talking about. And if you read Deuteronomy, that's what they're talking about. Moses is down giving De- Deuteronomy to them right now. And chapter two says, very specifically, do not go up against Moab. They're the descendants of Lot. They've been given that land. Leave them alone. So they're not even planning on doing anything to Moab. <laughs> But, there, but Balak is still afraid, and not for nothing. He's afraid of two things. He's afraid of this people group fighting him, 
He doesn't have the ability to be able to actually fight them. He's afraid of also the resources. He's afraid of, of starvation. So it's not only a people group, but it's also like an issue, right? A justice type issue. And it's important that I think we think about that because both of those things uh, are very tricky to navigate, especially if we were to put ourselves standing on a precipice like Balak. What does he do? Is he doing anything that we might could do? Is this one of the things that the New Testament doesn't want us or wants us to avoid? Well, I'll tell you what Balak does. He looks down, he sees Israel, and he's afraid of starvation or, or you know, he's afraid of not being able to uh, live. And he goes spiritual. Well, who wouldn't go spiritual? Every time I get overwhelmed, I'm Mr. Prayer. I mean, anything happens, I'm all, you know, I promise you, I hear a siren driving down the road, and I start praying. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just think it's maybe just logical. If you believe in prayer, uh, this is a good thing to do. Balak goes into a different type of prayer, though. He goes spiritual because he wants to curse these people. He wants to use his spirituality as a weapon. And what's a curse? Curse is not a swear word to them, okay? It's, it is to us, right? I know, girl, you shouldn't be cursing, right? That's what I grew up as. He's not paying Balaam to come down and, and say swear words at Israel. It's not his plan A, okay? He's trying to do something deeper than that. This is an actual spiritual reality even to this day. Cursing, hexing, this is something in the context of sorcery and divination, which you saw them say. They brought the fee of divination, I think in verse seven, and they're trying to get uh, Balaam to come and to speak words that will evoke supernatural harm onto this group of people. You already heard the motivation. Well, he, speak, he wants words to come down and harm this group of people. Now, this isn't just a wish, okay? He's not paying Balaam to just think bad thoughts towards someone. This is an actual force, a power. This is something that is an act of evil. It's comparable or antithetical, I guess you could say, to blessing. Remember the, the, the story of Jacob and Esau, when Jacob stole the blessing from Isaac, who, who had weak eyes, he said, uh, I can't take, the, you can't take the blessing back. Okay, there's something going on here that's supernatural, but also irrevocable. That is, I'm just trying to say, that is how this stuff, that serious this stuff is. But as I said before, the ancients ain't so ancient. And more importantly than what is a curse, we need to ask why curse? Why he curses? Why he's using spirituality as a weapon is something that's very tempting even for us today. When we're in situations where we're standing, at, and maybe even like today, 2018's closing, we have a great view. We're standing on a mountain as well. You can see very far. See all the way back to January and beyond. 2017 is way out there, okay. And then you can kind of see this way in 2019. It's a little hazy, a little ambitious. Who knows what's gonna happen, right? What happens when the alarm goes off on your phone in like five minutes that tells you some current event? That's really kind of scary. That could be scary. I mean, it happens every day. We're inundated with information, current events, and stuff that kind of can cause us to feel 
these feelings that Balak has. Overwhelmed, frightened, scared a little bit. What's gonna happen? Now, of course, don't hear me wrong. As you get to your current event, go into prayer mode. Of course, go spiritual. Take all your anxiety, take all your burdens before the Lord. That's a really good thing. But there's a fine line between leaving this at the Lord in trust and actually using God as a magic wand or a genie or a ring of power or whatever you want to call him just to do your bidding. The Lord taught us to pray a prayer. Thy will be done. But the prayer of Balak is my will be done. And that is something we need to, we need to figure out. If there's a people group that's causing you to feel overwhelmed, what do you do? I'll tell you what, when I was um, driving through, I, I went to visit Jeremiah and Missy a long time ago in Africa. We are driving through uh, this area in South Africa that, sh- that, that drives right by this thing they call townships. These townships are full of displaced people, uh, hundreds of thousands of them. We're kind of up on the side of this mountain. I could see for miles, but I couldn't see the end of this township. Some of you that have been to uh, Mount Jordan can get that feeling a little bit. My feeling on my stomach just sank, and I just thought, there's no way. There's no way that this is ever going to get fixed. Think about it. Any overwhelming feelings that we have towards people, it's, it, we should be very careful, though, how we pray after that, because I was tempted, even in that moment, to pray that the Lord would just wipe this out somehow and start over, because I didn't believe that God was big enough to do anything. This is the very thing that Jesus was weeping about in the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday. You ever think about that story? Jesus is coming down, everybody's saying, Hosanna, we love you, we got the branches of the palm tree, you know, and that should be a moment where Jesus is celebrating. They're saying the prayer that we all want people to say. Jesus, save me. That's what Hosanna means. Save us, please. On paper, they're becoming Christians, of course. You know, that's what we, what we want. Save me, Jesus, right? And Jesus actually, instead of celebrating, weeps. Why he weeps is because they merely want to pray to him to become a weapon for them, to become a source of power for them so that they could take out Rome. At the expense of Rome, they want the Messiah to wipe them out so that they can have their comfort, they can have their power, they can build themselves up. And Jesus literally wept at them and said, if only you had known the things that actually made for peace, I would have gathered you under my wings like a, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and I would protect you. You set the bar too low. Tell the people that overwhelm you, tell them the truth that we actually believe that our greatest champion has given us a message of reconciliation and resurrection that anybody, any group of people that is experiencing any deadness can receive the resurrection of Christ. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us, and we need to speak that out to the people in this world who are feeling dead and feeling helpless and feeling hopeless. There is hope. Any theology or any spirituality that condemns another person I think is working against the cause right now. 
And maybe 2018 or 2019 is a season where we're gonna actually rework some of our thinking to not banish people from the kingdom of God, to not draw lines and push people out, but to bring them in and say, receive the resurrection of Christ. And we believe it into the marriages that are broke. We believe it into uh, the places where people are feeling completely lost and abandoned. That's our legacy. Balak was afraid of the people. So he wanted to curse the people. Well, we want to bless the people. He also was afraid of what the people might do. They might eat up all of our food, he says. Whatever issues on your heart right now, if it is even starvation, if it is something worse, uh, if you think of something worse, whatever's on your heart, slavery or racism, abortion, or what's going on that you, that you have on your heart that you're just like, I don't know. Don't turn the blessing that we have into a curse. Believe the words of Jesus when he said, if you just have a little faith in me, that thing you thought that was immovable, that mountain can't move. And we are a people group that brings that hope in front of walls like Jericho, in front of giants like Goliath, in front of mountains. We, we can pray and things can happen. I believe that the arm of the Lord is not too weak and not too short to be able to make real measurable change in this world. We're ambassadors of this message and the Lord is coming. And there will be a day, Balaam even says it himself, where he will come and he will rule and he will put everything right. And we are partnering with him even now in this. It would be a mistake for us to think there's no point in doing anything like that nowadays. No, no, no. We're preparing the way. Christ has no hands but yours. So anyways, evaluate yourself. If there's anything that you're lining up with Balak, remember, thy will be done is our prayer, not my will be done. Don't settle for the, heart of, for the eyes of Balak. You have the heart of Christ when it comes to people and issues in this world. Balak summons Balaam to come and do this curse, okay? And as I was reading this, I, I, I was reading verses 10 through 12. I'm like, okay, Balaam goes and prays to, you can see here, capital L-O-R-D. Every time he talks to verse A, you can see, he's talking about yod Vafe, Yahweh. This is the covenant name of Israel. And I've heard this story my whole life, and I just think, okay, what is going on here? Is he even allowed to talk to the Lord I mean, what is our team doing right now? Moses, his face is glowing like an angel, and there's smoke everywhere, and there's fire coming, and then Aaron has the things he's got to wear with the white and the blood that comes in, and he's got to do that thing, and don't forget the incense and the prayers, and this is what we're doing to talk to God. Balaam is tapping on his shoulder saying, hey, what do you think about these guys? And the Lord's like, I don't know. We should probably should. I <laughs> Who's this guy think he is? As I was a little offended trying to figure this out, there was something in the back of my mind. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or not, but it's kind of on my heart. I'll share anyways. Remember when Paul said, this is not of the Lord. This is just my opinion. Let the, <laughs> let the reader understand. I, uh, I don't know. I have something on my heart about this. 
sitting in the back of my mind as I was saying, who's Balaam think he is? He talked to the Lord. And I, all of a sudden, there's this echo of, who else can't the Lord talk to? I don't believe. I just don't believe in that. that. I do believe in a God who would talk to Balaam. A million miles away from what God's doing in Israel. Takes three weeks to get, to get to this guy. He turns to the Lord and the Lord turns to him. And I don't know if you need to hear this or not, but there are a lot of Balaams walking around this world right now who don't think that they can turn to the Lord and that he'll turn to them. There's a lot of people, even in my sphere of influence, I think about it. You think about it too while I'm saying this. Somebody that just is feeling like either my own projection or their own uh, worldview, that they're a long ways away from God, and they need to go through all these hoops and rigmarole to get to God, or, or they're never actually going to be able to even get to God, that God's just kind of this distant person off in, in somewhere else. I believe in a God who will talk to Balaam, and if God will turn to Balaam, when Balaam turns to him, then he can turn to anybody. Anybody who's an estranged member of your family or somebody in your in-laws or somebody that you care about that you just think that they're too far away, God can turn to them. And I believe it. I believe that we need to just, wouldn't it make a big difference if we told people on a regular basis, just turn to the Lord. He will draw near to those who draws near to him. Just turn and speak to him. Share your heart. And consistently just turn people in that direction. Wouldn't it be healthy for them? At one point, at one point in their life, they're probably gonna say, you know what? I'm just gonna do this. And I promise you, the heart of God is that, that he, not because of Balaam's magic tricks or sorcery or whatever, but because of his heart, he turns to Balaam. My problem is I just talk too much to people instead of just telling them to pray. So I talk on behalf of God for, you know, God. So silly. Man, this guy wants, so exciting. He wants to know about God. And I, pr I promise you, I'm not embellishing. I talked for two hours straight to him. And it was the craziest stuff. I'm like, oh, the Hebrew Bible this, and I'm telling you all about Jesus and Judas and all, and all this stuff. And, and he's just looking at me, and I'm like, oh, you really like this. I'm gonna keep talking. And then I pr I've never seen him ever again. I don't know why. No. <laughs> ah, I should know better. Because when I was a teenager, I talked to my dad. I called him on the phone. I said, you know what? This whole thing, Christianity is a, social, is a construct. And, you know, the opiate of the masses bit. Uh, he just was, like, very calm and gave me a sentence or two and said, Sounds to me like you never pray or read the Bible. Maybe you should try and do that. <laughs> and then just, I gotta go. You're on the phone, he left. I'm like, wait, are you gonna try and convert me? Get me saved, Dad. And then, you know, and so then I was kind of mad. I'm like, I pray? Of course I pray. Then I realized, what am I praying? I'm actually praying just genie stuff. Like, I'm just trying to get him to do things for me. Prayer requests and all that. And then uh, what am I reading? I'm reading dutifully. I'm trying to study the Bible. I'm supposed to read the Bible. Just sort of arbitrarily reading. There's a big difference between what happened that day in my life and what has been happening before that. When I 
for the first time, it clicked that I could just bear my heart before the Lord in my own words, my own language, and say everything that I actually just wanted to say. He met me there. He met me like he met Balaam. It's just never been the same ever since. I used to think we had to have a prayer language or, you know, not, okay, that's a bad term. There's certain ways you have to pray. I started reading the Bible. You know what word Jesus uses every time? He's like 14 prayers in the Gospels. First word he always uses, Father. Sometimes they transliterate Abba. You ever wonder about that? This is a little tangent. There is a Greek word for father. Why didn't they just translate it? Why is it still the Aramaic letter, uh, you know? Paul says it two times, Romans 8 and Galatians. By, by his spirit, we cry out, Abba. Why didn't he say pater? Or, you know, why don't we just translate father on there? And I think it's because there's a belief in the time of Christ that you have to pray in Hebrew. Baruch atah. I mean, there's these prayers. They're, they're still around, the Hebrew prayers. But when you're an Aramaic-speaking person praying in Hebrew, it is a little distant. But what does an Aramaic-speaking person say when they want to talk to their dad in their own language? Abba. Those are the first words they ever, ever learn. Abba. Jesus takes us way forwards in this, in this spiritual space and says, you know what? It's not just about the systems of your religion. There is no holy language. Speak your own words to me. Say Abba. Speaking the words that you would speak normally. Talk to me. Just pour your heart out. It's moving to me to be affirmed in that way by Christ. And that's what happens when you start pouring your heart out to God and that he responds to you with the word and confirms and continues to tell you the truth about who you are and about how much he loves you. We gotta tell people. We just gotta, everybody needs to know that. Tangent over. So Balaam, in his nice new relationship with God, <laughs> continues to, to, to talk to him about going with these people or not. It's very important to see, in, in my opinion, the actual things that the Lord says to him and then what he says to somebody else. The Lord says specifically to him, do not go, do not curse. He responds by saying what? I can't go. He never says I can't curse. Okay, I'm, you might be thinking, Dan, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, Balak also doesn't hear him say I can't curse. Nobody hears him say I can't curse. They're like, oh, he just wants more money. He's doing the Middle Eastern barter, or uh, driving a, 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 a hard bargain. I knew to say with a B, bargain. So they go, hey, just so you know, we got more money. You know, just come. Don't let money be an option, you know. And it's not I can't curse. It's just I, you know, he might be playing coy. And so they get him. He is following money. But the problem with Balaam that frustrates God, that frustrates Balak, that frustrates the donkey, is that he is living an inconsistent lifestyle. Balaam is saying something with his mouth, but literally physically doing the opposite. He's saying, I can't do anything the Lord doesn't say for me to do. He says it three times in chapter 23. I can only speak what the Lord puts on my mouth. But 
You're standing next to the altar of Baal, trying to, you're, everybody thinks you're gonna curse these people. You're walking with the people down to Moab who are, are expecting you to curse. There's a big inconsistency here. This is hypocrisy 101. All, you know, all throughout Jesus' life too, he's dealing with people who are doing the same thing. They're saying they're saying with their lips how pious they are, how much they believe in God, how much Bible verses they have memorized, all the things that they're doing to honor God, but their actions are, are opposing God. Jesus flat out said it to the Pharisees. You're studying the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they're screaming at you about me and you're opposing me, you're trying to kill me, your actions are not lining up at all with the words here. And so that is a very interesting to me uh, pattern here, especially because one of the biggest critiques of Christianity now is, is that there's a group of people who have a lot of words and a lot of things that are said, but then the actions oftentimes just, it's just kind of not the same. I don't have anybody in mind when I say that. I've just heard that my whole life. Search your heart. Am I being hypocritical with my faith? And this is a pretty good example of this, this, this Balaam character, because he is supposed to be a religious person. This is the irony of the donkey. It's actually not that, to me, as meaningful that the donkey speaks as it is that the donkey can see the angel of the Lord standing there, not once, but three times when the prophet, who's internationally renowned, supposed to be able to see God and stuff, can't see him standing right in front of him. The donkey can see. And when hypocrisy takes root in our life, it requires that we delude our reality. It requires that we lie to ourselves. It requires that we blind ourselves. And if we're not careful, we can blind ourselves to not even be able to see what the Lord is doing right in front of us. And our actions are leading against what he's trying to do. If right now you think, okay, maybe I am being a little hypocritical and you're, you're just being humble. There's something to, um, to think about. Here's my advice based on this story. Number one, get yourself a talking donkey. <laughs> and in the morning, I'm making waffles. <laughs> just thought of that. Um, yeah, okay, so think about this. What does the donkey say to him? All right, it's important. He says, um, I, verse 30, am I not your own donkey which you have ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this? And Balaam's like, well, now that you mention it, I mean, okay, it's kind of weird that he is comprehending their relationship in the first place. Now I'm all insecure about my dog. Uh, how, much, how much can he really remember? I don't know. And so he's like, I've been loyal to you for years. If you have someone in your life who has been loyal to you, they will tell you the truth, and they are somebody you should pay attention to. 
You got a friend or a companion or somebody that has proven over the years they've been loyal to you. This is somebody to listen to. Oftentimes, when we're living a life of sketchy hypocrisy, we'll seek to find people who just make an echo chamber for us. We'll seek to find people who will just affirm what we want to hear. We'll find a people online or find a people that don't know us all that well, that just want to tell us what we want to hear. You know who won't do that? Somebody that's committed to you committed to you being healthy, someone that's committed to you growing. They're not gonna lie to you. They're gonna tell you. If you open your heart up to them, they're gonna tell you the truth. They might just see something that you don't see, and it might just save your life. The second thing that I think we should do if we're in a situation of hypocrisy is be humble. When he, said, when he finally sees the Lord, you know what he says to him? Don't look past this. I have sinned. And I don't realize, I didn't realize you're standing there to oppose me. If you're displeased, I will return. He confesses, he repents. This takes humility. And sometimes just a little bit of humility will lead to a lot of repentance. There's not a lot of humility in our culture. There's not a lot of humility in me even. I, it's so hard. I'm so stubborn. Every time I get into an argument, it's just like I might even be a little bit right. And I fight for that little bit. And the whole, I'm totally wrong, but a little bit right. And I want to make, every, and humility is just so potent and powerful. Real humility. I'm not talking about self-deprecation. I'm not talking about false humility. I'm talking about really being humble, which is uh, kind of similar to saying these words. I was wrong. The world doesn't need another religious leader or another religious person who says one thing and does another. The world really needs some religious people to wash the feet of Judas, to wash the feet of the disciples, to get down and be humble, to actually admit uh, that we can go lower when our, when our tendency is to fight for ourselves and go higher. Maybe uh, even 2019, okay, I know keto, keto is probably gonna be the resolution. <laughs> Sorry, Will, love you. But I think, uh, I think maybe, too, a measurable change of humility might would be something that we should consider. Is there a way that we can actually be humble and extend grace to people that we've been constantly fighting with? Is there anybody that we can actually go to and say, you know what, I was wrong. Even if, it was, if I was somewhat right, I'm gonna tell you that I was wrong. A little bit of humility can lead to a lot of repentance. Balak and Balaam finally meet in chapter 23, or at the end of 22. And uh, Balaam has to reap the fruit, a little bit of his inconsistency, because everybody thinks he's there to curse. He's not there to curse. Actually, he's gonna bless. Um, and the Lord is making lemonade out of this lemon, and he will do that, and thank, I love him for it. Uh, but instead of being the guy who's gonna do the curse, he actually is a guy that speaks a blessing. And I just, feel free to go in and read this. I mean, it's some of the most beautiful words that people write. He does five blessings. He even um, has a glimpse in here of the Messiah and um, he, I can read it a little bit later, but I just see a God here who can turn all curses into a blessing. 
And there's a lot of people running around in this world who think that they're cursed or feeling like that's their option. And it's our job to partner with the God who would take a curse and turn it to a blessing. Jesus bore the curse. Curse is any man who hangs on a tree. He took the curse so that we could have the blessing. That's our legacy. That's what we're here for. So as the New Testament cautions us to really figure out if we're gonna go on the way of Balak and Balaam, then let's take a moment and pray and figure out if there's any patterns that are in this story that are close to our hearts and see if we can actually repent and turn and follow the patterns of the Messiah. Are you with me? Father in heaven, if there's any of us who feel like uh, we're saddling for the eyes of Balak, give us your heart. Give us your eyes and your vision to see people of this world who are threatening us or people uh, that aren't threatening us, we just think they are. Or uh, if there's even an issue or something that's making us feel overwhelmed and afraid as we look ahead, I just pray your strength and courage into that heart into that situation, into that issue, and tell us, how strong are you? How big are you? Is your arm too short to address and engage with some of the biggest issues of our day? Are you able to move a mountain? Give us just a passion to speak and to... Give us a passion to speak and to write and to communicate resurrection to the people around us that are flirting with death. If there's any of us here either who, who are following a pattern of Balaam and maybe sliding into some major inconsistencies or some major places of hypocrisy, just make that known. And we humbly before you are just gonna say, I have sinned, I was wrong, I didn't see it, I was blind. Help us to see it. Give some people uh, to come around each of us and, and speak the truth and be able to point out areas where we're blind. Help us to be a humble people. We're going to 2019 and just live with humility that points straight to you. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.